He's a retired police constable from the United Kingdom. He was medically retired as a result of an injury and a medical condition which worsened over time. As his physical condition worsened, so did his mental state. He's here to tell us all about that on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. In the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, we are joined by special guests talking about their experiences, their realities of investigating crimes, plus those who have experienced horrendous trauma, police, first responders, military, and victims of crime share their stories. Hi, I'm John J. Wiley. In addition to being a broadcaster, I'm also a retired police sergeant. Be sure to check out our website, letradio.com and also like us on Facebook. Search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast has a website that is oh so easy to remember. The address is simply letradio.com. Again, that is letradio.com. You can find us on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show Facebook page. Contact us from the United Kingdom, from Great Britain, from England. I never know what to say or how to say it correctly. <laughs> we have Darren Hembro on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Darren is retired United Kingdom police constable. Uh, Darren, first, thanks for your service. Secondly, thanks for being guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Very much appreciated. No, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here as well. We've had a couple guests on from England, and quite honestly, I, I want to get more law enforcement officers, more victims of crime coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, telling our stories because Americans have a perception that life is just pristine and sweet and charming, and I'm sure it is over there, but you encounter a lot of same, similar difficulties as American police, correct? Yes, yeah, I would imagine so. Um, Judging by some of the stories that I've heard from your podcasts and um, things that I've read online, yeah, absolutely. I loved being a police officer. I I'm always be proud of it. To be totally honest with you, Darren, it took a terrible toll on me and my family as well. Yeah, I can well imagine that. And that is the same over here. Um, the, the, there is a, a saying over here that um, if you join the force, you get a divorce. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's what um, happened to me. My first, my first marriage, <laughs> I'm joking, I'm laughing, but it wasn't funny at the time. My first marriage ended in divorce. I'm, I'm happily remarried. My wife, Stephanie, the boss, I call her, the best thing that ever happened to me. But the time my divorce was one of the worst things ever that I went through. You retired from, as a United Kingdom police constable. Where were you policing at? Um, I was in... Um I was working out of my, my force area, which was in South Wales, um, and I was working in headquarters by the time I retired. Um, but before that, I'd done 10 years frontline in Swansea, and I'd done three years hate crime in Swansea, and then I finished in headquarters then. And so how long were you from start to finish uh, on the job? Um, 17 years as a PC, as a as police constable, and I was two years as a civilian before that. Gotcha. So you, you were not 
a rookie. When I say that, I, I don't mean that as an insult, but it, I thought I knew a lot as a rookie coming out of the academy. I really knew nothing. And it took a while, at least in American policing, about, I'd say about five years before you start really getting good at your job. Uh, so you certainly weren't a rookie when you retired. No, no, definitely not. Um, I've been there, done a lot, <laughs> seen seen some some of the best of humanity, and I've seen some of the worst of humanity, um, and and the, everything in between. So, uh, I you know I, I love the job, um, but unfortunately, my health um, took control right. over me. We'll talk about your, your situation with your health in a moment. i got to ask you this. And I, even if I remember the name of the show, I wouldn't say it. But there was a show I was watching, I believe it was on Netflix, that involved police in Wales. And they had an English version and a Welsh version, the same actors. Uh, and they just did different dialogues. It was one of the most depressing, gorgeous, beautiful area, but one of the most depressing shows I've ever seen in my life. Would that be a fair representation of what policing was like in there? I think I think I know the show. I can't remember what it was. Was it Hinterland? That's exactly what it was. Yeah. I wasn't going to say it. I'm telling you, at the end of every episode, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. That life is horrible. <laughs> um. I, I, I think that was a bit of uh, dramatic license going on there, but uh, well, yes, but no. Yeah. Well, Could I got to say yeah. this. My wife, the boss, and I, we, we rarely ever watch American produced television about dramas in particular about policing because number one in my opinion they always get it so wrong number one number two they don't do a very good job of character development they've become very stereotypical about police the bbc related content police related content i find to be at the very least when it comes to character development much further ahead is that a fair assessment Yes. Um, yeah. Well, sometimes what we used to say um, in when I was in work, um, unfortunately, we can't solve crime in, in an hour. No. Isn't that funny how that happens? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the most basic of crime that we would deal with could take two to three hours when I was on response anyway, minimum. Um, and then sometimes you'd have to bail people and everything so it was uh some cases were an absolute nightmare that you you hold on to for months on end and um but you watch a drama show and it's all done in 60 minutes the one thing uh, i get the whole 60 minute things and i have so many people that they're like well you know i watch these crime csi shows on television and they can solve anything they can solve stuff by dna within 30 minutes well we didn't get DNA results back sometimes six months, a year. Uh, it could take a very long time. Blood toxicology levels would take a very long time. Sometimes we had a good idea of who the criminal was, who committed the crime, but we weren't able to get something we call probable cause and effect an arrest. One of the worst things for me personally was when we have known violent criminals that committed violent crimes and we can never bring charges did you go through any of that yourself yes yes and sometimes if we did bring charges and it got to court and then it get it, 
court so they, they get away with it and they say oh no all that work the victims um, you know the, the, the victims would lose total faith in the criminal justice system yeah. uh, unfortunately um, that's the same here and one of the things I learned early on in my career was you just do the best we could. We Our job as police was to, if there was a case, to bring it to trial. And it was the state's attorneys, or uh, I don't know the terms they used there, it was their job to try it. And sometimes you could not get what we call justice. And sometimes... No one wanted to be the one who ruined the case, but sometimes early in my career, I was the one who made mistakes, and I learned rather rapidly how to avoid making those mistakes. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've done that myself. So I think that um, every new officer's school is is those mistakes and how not to do them. Now I got to ask you this before we get a break. In the courts. Over there in the United Kingdom, in Wales, did they wear those wigs that we always see on television? Yes. Yeah. What is the reason for that? Come on, man. Tell me. I, what's I, up with the wigs? <laughs> I don't know, but they've been there for, for a few hundred years at the very least. Well, there's things called tradition, and that's the one thing that's slow to change, not just in police work, but in the courts as well. We're talking with Darren Hembro. Darren is retired police constable from the United Kingdom. He served in Wales. We're going to talk about what happened to him, what caused his medical condition, and how, as it worsened, his mental health did as well, and what he does about it today. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I have some exciting news to share with you. You are going to love my Your Diet Do-Over Do-It-Yourself course on HarmonyWithFood.com, which means you could do everything at your own pace. I put my heart and soul into this course. Have you been on every diet there is only to gain the weight back? If your relationship with food is, well, not that good, you should purchase the Your Diet Do-Over course. Go over to HarmonyWithFood.com, click the Your Diet Do-Over tab, and get started today. Get access to free podcasts versions of the show and more on facebook do a search for the law enforcement talk radio show and be sure to click like returning our conversation with darren hembro contact is from the united kingdom he's a retired wales united kingdom police constable retired due to medical condition and as his physical health worsened so did his mental health his website is darren Hembro.com. That's spelled H-E-M-B-R-O-W.com. He's a level three qualified coach. Darren, in your own words, what happened? Because this was not a line of duty thing, but you wound up getting hurt and suffering a a physical condition, which ended your career. Yeah. um, Yeah, I think it was around July, August um, 2016, where I was stationed I was stationed um, about 10 minutes from my home on foot. So I would walk back and forth to work every day. And by the time I was getting home, I I would get this really sharp pain across the soles of my feet. Um, Initially, I didn't think anything more of it. However, as time sort of went on, that pain became permanent in my feet came up my legs, up the right 
um, side of my torso, down my right arm, up the right hand side of my face. Um, I don't know what was happening to me. I was in pain. I was burning. The only way I describe that burning is if you put your hand on top of a car in a heat wave. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and yeah, I was still going to, still going to work. But my 10-minute walk to work was taking me about an hour because I could barely put one foot in front of the other. And eventually I ended up in, uh, I think you call it ER, right. the emergency room. Um, this one particular night, and because I knew most of the staff there, and especially the security guards, because sometimes we used to take prisoners there, one of the security guards came over to me and asked if I'd had a stroke because the right-hand side of my face had pulled down. Um, but, you, you know, I, I got sort of told off by the doctor for, for using their service. Um, told me I need to go see a neurologist, which I did. Um, I was back and for my own doctor. Um, I was At this time, I was going about twice a week and because whatever they were giving me to try and stop the pain wasn't working. Is this nerve pain? Yeah. Did, yeah. did they put a diagnosis on you at any point? Uh, eventually. Um, when I went to see the neurologist, first thing he done was sent me for tests for motor neuron disease and multiple cirrhosis. So I'm thinking, oh, dear God, please don't let me do that. I, either of those. Um, but, and it, you know, perhaps in a blessing it wasn't. And, um, but eventually I had a nerve conduction test that showed I had widespread, deep-rooted nerve damage in three-quarters of my body. So, Darren, how old were you when you got this diagnosis of the nerve damage throughout your body? So, I'm 49 now, so I was about 42 43. Still a relatively young man. And look, I got hurt and retired at 33. And th- this goes right into the next question I'm going to ask you. When I got hurt and retired, I-, I tell people the problems for me didn't really start until things got quiet. When I didn't know what to do with myself, that's where the real tr- troubles began. And-, and many people would say that American police wrap themselves too much. Their identity becomes involved and wrapped around what they do for a living. Was that a problem for you? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I was very driven um, as a police officer to to still go to work and be in work. Um, if somebody had said to me, could I work 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I would have. But that, that's how engrossed into the job I was. And when I, when I became more and more limited with what I could do, it had a knock-on effect onto me mentally, which in turn has a knock-on effect physically as well. Sure. There's a huge correlation between mental health and physical health and vice versa. I, I got to ask you, is part of your your regimen for treatment of this neuro nerve condition, I'm sure you're put on lots of medications. Yeah, I'm on um, oxycodone, so I'm on morphine-based medication. I'm on several antidepressants that double as pain relief for nerve damage. 
and I'm on a couple of other things. I can't even pronounce what they are. Yeah, I'm not, so, I'm, I'm not anti-medicine. Yeah, affect that. Sorry, sorry. It's a, I'm, I'm not anti-medicine. I just don't personally like taking a lot of it because there's always effects. There's positives and there's negatives. And one of the things that really concerns me is, uh, and I did medication for a very long time, uh, but I, uh-huh. I've been off that for, for quite a while. If I needed to, uh, the doctor said to me, you can always go back on. I'm like, what a brilliant concept. Uh, fortunately, I'm not needed to. But when you said oxycodone, morphine-based, yeah. the painkillers, the opiates, I had shoulder surgery several years ago. And by the way, it was the most brutal pain I've ever been in my life. And they kept me on some heavy-duty painkillers for about three days and then started loosening up a little bit. But I got severely depressed, uh, and I was nodding off in a chair. My sleeping habits were off, but my moods really began to change. And that causes me great concern for you. Not the, the physical part, but the opiates. Have you noticed that effect? Yes. Yeah, I've... There's been times, um, sort of half physical, half mental, where I haven't been able to get out of bed. And all I've wanted to do is sleep. And sometimes when I've forgotten to order my repeat prescription, and I've run out of medication, I'm also going through withdrawals on top of the nerve pain as well. Right. And, and there are so, so many people yeah. that have developed, uh, and I, this is a term I don't like, have developed addiction problems. Dude, these medications, some of them are so heavy duty, they are addictive in and of themselves and can create another monster on top of everything else you got to deal with. Has, I'm sure that thought has entered your mind. Yeah, I, I was um, initially worried um, regarding addiction. And to, to me, that, that term is, is acceptable, but I know for some people that that term can, can trigger a few things. Right. Um, but for me, I, I think that because I've, I've had 18 months of psychotherapy as well, um, so I've had to work through quite a lot mentally just to accept the fact a, I am disabled now, and B, I've got to take this medication just to function. I hear for you. The rest of my I life. hear you. And we'll, we'll talk more about the the whole addiction and, and the reason why some people have problems with. It. We're talking with Darren Hembro. He's retired United Kingdom Police constable. Diagnosed with severe nerve damage, which involved his mental and physical deterioration. He is a level three qualified coach. Get more information about him online at darrenhembro.com. This portion of the radio show is brought to you in part by Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. Everyone's welcome at the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page where you'll find fun, informative, and enjoyable posts daily. Purebred, mixed breeds, rescues, we love them all. Be sure to like the Pet Rescue Life Facebook page. This is Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. I want to tell you about a product, actually a line of products, that have changed my life dramatically. Juice Plus health products. I know many of you like me are skeptical about claims made for these nutritional supplements. However, these Juice Plus products have made a world of difference for me. The simplest, cheapest, least expensive product they have. As a result of taking it, 
a chewable berry flavored product. I've had full night's sleep every night and zero leg cramps. I know, doesn't seem like a lot, but getting good night's sleep and having a stable mood helps me quite a bit. You can get more details about Juice Plus products at letpops.com. That's letpops.com. And for those of you looking for a great business opportunity, check out letpops.com. If you want to be a guest on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show, simply contact us. It couldn't be easier. You can send us a message on Facebook. Look for and like the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show page or email j at letradio.com. That's jay at letradio.com. This is the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. Return to a conversation with Darren Hembro, retired United Kingdom police constable. I believe he served in Wales, uh, Swansea. Is that where you said that area? Yeah, yeah, South, South Wales on the on the. Uh uh, it's supposed to be sunny coast. So oh, we get a lot of coast. rain. So uh, it's his not website, <laughs> his website is DarrenHembro.com. He's a level three qualified coach. Darren, first of all, thanks for telling your story on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. A lot of people are reluctant to talk about these things because, and I'm not doing the old stereotypical thing when it comes to men. Uh, and males that we don't want to reach out we don't want to tell people but you said something we got to touch on I had to accept the fact that I'm physically disabled I tell people all the time I have a handicap I'm not disabled there, there are certain things I can do there are certain things I can't do and it's a result of police work however it doesn't inhibit me from living the kind of life I want to have. When I first got the diagnosis of being permanently physically disabled, it was a different story, though. Was that the case for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the neurologist, um, he, wasn't, he wasn't particularly helpful. So I, I had to go to a second neurologist who explained a lot more to me. If... Uh, if they could find an under, underlying cause to my condition, they could t- treat the cause and my nerves would repair themselves, but they can't find a cause. So when I was told that it was going to be lifelong, my, my heart just sank because I, I wouldn't wish this on another living soul. On, honestly, I wouldn't. It, I sometimes put a picture, send a picture to people of like a back that's been severely bruised and I would say this is what the pain feels like and now set it on fire and and that's what my body feels like so it, it took, it's taken me a long time it's taken me since 2016 up until perhaps the middle of last year to accept the fact that my, my future is going to change and I've had to change my, my future from all my plans all my dreams I've got to make new plans. I've got to make new dreams now. You've got to create um, a new life. Yeah. That, that's a, a daunting task at 42 to say, I've got to build the kind of life I want in spite of the hand I've been dealt. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And somebody uh, said to me that when, when we get an impact on us that that is life altering whether it's a physical issue like we've got or you know perhaps we've lost a loved one and so on we've got to 
grieve for the future that we didn't have and not going to have. Right. And we've got to make a new future, which has to be full of whatever we can make it be. One of the things, and I know there's differences and there's similarities with uh, policing in America, and not all police are the same in America, but there's some similarities, at least in my story. And one of the biggest problems I had is as a police officer, part of our job, our job description was helping people solve their problems. And that was very much the mindset. The, the vast majority of our calls for service were quality of life issues. They weren't dealing with crime. Uh, crime was a different story, yeah. but we were trying to solve people's problems and help them find a solution. When I came up with problems that I, I couldn't solve, it really frustrated me because I thought I could fix myself using myself and my willpower and knowledge alone. Was that a situation for you? And is that typical with uh, British police? Yeah, service calls, they are the biggest call that I used to experience. And very often we used to double up for paramedics to, you know, because we were trained first aiders. So very often there were no paramedics available. We'd get there for injuries. We'd have to go to help, as you say, help solve other people's issues and then deal with crime as the sort of, you know, in the background, so to speak. Um, with myself, I became very stubborn. My aim was literally go to bed, get up, get to work, come home and go to bed. And that, that was all that was going on in my mind. So I don't know if I'd done right or wrong with that. But my all, all my thing was just get to work, just get to work. You have got to get to work. And I, I, in the end, it, it just got too much. And I, I just had to give it up, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's a tough pill to swallow. When you were tired, how old were you? 48. 48. All right. So one of the, the biggest problems for me, and I, without getting into the trauma, I was I knew what my role was as a police officer, as a police sergeant. I knew what my job was. And the more hectic and the more chaotic and the more traumatic it was, the more comfortable I seemed to be. However, when I had to deal with my own issues after leaving police work, it is as, it's as if I was totally confused and, and had no idea where to even start. Is that a fair assessment for you and what you've experienced with other police? Yeah. Yeah. That, that, for, for myself personally, that's 100%. Um, very good at giving advice, but couldn't see can see my own advice, you know. So, you know, you know that old saying, "Physician, heal thyself." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that comes to mind a lot in relation to myself. So, yeah, I, I was stuck between a rock and a hard place, you know. Well, stubbornness is not a bad fault. I, I I would say that I'm by nature a stubborn person. I'm not as obstinate about it as I used to be when I was younger. Uh, I'm not as outwardly stubborn as I used to be. However, there's a line, uh, I guess the way to describe it is a determination that I will not give in. I won't quit. And there were many times 
that I came close to quitting. But now it's not even an issue. When you say you're stubborn, are you of the same type of mindset? I'm not going to quit. Yes, I, I used to be. I used to be until last year. And last year, I I came to sort of realization that if I can't do it today, I'll do it tomorrow. If I can't do it tomorrow, I'll do it next week. So I, I, I'm still trying to work on it, but I'm still trying to get that balance between being determined and using stubbornness positively and not using it to the detriment of my own well-being, you know? Right, right. Uh, look, I'm, I'm blessed to be married. I've got a, a, a wonderful wife, very supportive. Her name is Stephanie. And one of the things about her is when I am too out of line, I'm too stubborn, or I've crossed that line and I can't see it, she will let me know that I'm out of bounds. Do you find that to be helpful for you in your life? Yeah, I'm surrounded by some really, really good friends who have had my back from the word go. Um, two of them, Simon and Jason, they saved my life one night, and I'll, I'll never, ever be able to repay them for that. Well, it's good to and have people like that it. that really will throw the lifeline when needed, but they will also throw some hard, cold truth your way when needed as well. We're talking with Darren Hembro. His website is darrenhembro.com. He's a retired United Kingdom police constable. And we return to the conversation on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We're going to talk about the really dark days and how it inspired what he does today. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and be sure to click like. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. What is the Haunting or Not podcast? It's a free podcast that takes a different approach to ghost stories, hauntings, and cases of demonic forces. Husband and wife podcast hosts mix comedy, facts, and a healthy dose of police evidence skepticism to help you decide. Are these hauntings or not? Helping you decide what's real and what is fake or an overhyped exaggeration. From world-famous cases to lesser-known reports, they talk about them all in the Haunting or Not podcast, available for free on most podcast platforms. Or do a Google search for Haunting or Not podcast. Welcome back to the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. We are joined by special guest Darren Hembro, retired United Kingdom police constable. He's calling us from across the pond, as they say. Uh, and also, I watch a lot of British-made television, and they think, say things like cuppa and tea. And do they say cupper uh, and uh, mate and all that stuff? Cheerio. Coming off a cuppa. <laughs> My wife is going to die when she hears that. Uh, well, Darren developed a, a nerve problem, severe nerve problem that affected three quarters of his body and forced his retirement from police work. And, and part of our conversation, Darren, is we talked about the mental health, the physical health, the correlation with the two, taking medication, uh, feeling that your life has changed. And then you mentioned at the end of the last segment, a couple friends that saved your life. I can only imagine you hit a point where there were really dark days. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, um, I, I, I can now. I, about three and a half years ago, I think it was just before lockdown. It was the January before lockdown. And 
I was in so much pain. I was ready to take all my medication in one go. I was going to take the whole lot and I was chatting to Simon and Jason. They don't know each other on, on online. And I just said, I've had enough. I, I can't, I can't cope with this anymore. And sorry, <laughs> no fairness to them. They, they kept me talking to about five o'clock in the morning. And, and then I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I, I felt, I felt a bit fluey and I felt a bit hungover. And first thing I done, I still went to work the next day, which I probably shouldn't have done. Um, I went to the counsellor with the occupational health and told him my my feelings that I had and how I was feeling. So he, he forced my arm to go to the doctors and the doctors went to give me even more medication, which I said, no, I'm on enough. So, And how many years of medical school did you go to? Say again, sorry? I'm being sarcastic. How many years of medical school did you go to? No, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, none. <laughs> uh, none at all. But yeah, I, I, I was there with my doctors. I broke down in front of my doctor. Um, but eventually, through through the pain clinic service that we got here, I, I was put over to a psychotherapist. And she said we'd probably be, have about six to eight weeks, and I was with her for eighteen months. And it's only about two or three months ago I, I'd actually finished with her. Well, so congratulations on being finished. Long time getting the support. What? What? One of the questions I have is: in in the United States, if if a police officer says I'm having mental health issues, let's just say, for example, they walk into a boss and say, you know, I can't take it anymore, and I thought about uh, dying by suicide. Right away, immediately, they're suspended. Their powers are suspended. The, the guns taken. All these other things for many reasons, civil liability reasons why. However, a lot of this can be viewed as disciplinary action, and. It doesn't always work out well. Did your agency handle it better, in your opinion? Yes. Um, we, I can't speak for every police force, but my police force in particular, there's there's a big emphasis on duty of care. And there's a big emphasis on looking after welfare. Sometimes it doesn't always work as clear cut as that right. uh, admittedly you know but th- th- that is as it is but there is a big emphasis on duty of care and big emphasis of if you you know it, you know what po- politics are the same regardless of what job you're in so without any character assassination it depends on your management team as well how good they are to you and so it sounds like your agency was good to you, which I'm very appreciative of. Yeah, yeah, they, they were. It did take um, a while, perhaps, for me to get the right management team. And basically what had happened about two years ago, I'd gone into work. My sergeant sat me down and said, you're all awful. I don't think you're well enough to do your job. And that was my, la- my last physical day in work. And that was a, a tough call for your sergeant to do, by the way. Retirement. One of the things, as a sergeant, it's it's tough 
not only safe for me to to take that kind of action, but sometimes it's necessary. Did it feel the time as if he was coming? I'm saying he that your sergeant was coming down on you too hard. No, um, it, it was a she. Um, uh, she. She was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I, I won't um, disclose things that she told me, but she was very much welfare first. You're a human being first. The job comes second. If you're not well, you're not well. And that's it. So Man, that's, very uh, that's on the exactly. Line, but, and I appreciated that. Yeah, that's exactly what we need to have. We need to have sergeants like that uh, all, all across the world, the United States for sure. Your mission uh, post retirement began to change, and it, is it fair to say that you now have a new mission in life, and that involves coaching and helping other struggling officers? Yes, yes, I thought. I walked away from the police with two qualifications, one as a trainer, one as a level two and level three coach. And I thought I can't be the only officer that has struggled. And there must be other officers everywhere that are going through issues either within work or needing medical retirement, can't, can't face the concept of retirement full stop because I've got no doubt the same in America as over here. The, the job just sucks you in. And, you know, one of my ex-colleagues who I do keep in touch with from time to time, he said he can't see what life is like the day after retiring. He, he just can't see his future. So I thought I had a sort of penny drop moment. And I thought, why not get out there? Why not help officers? It doesn't matter about the rank to help officers come to some sort of clarity, some sort of goal, some sort of acceptance that unfortunately in life we all come to the point we have to retire and and just to push forward. So that's my main aim. Right. That's a great goal. And, and by the way, in, when I was in the police academy in Baltimore, one of the things they said was the average life expectancy for a Baltimore police officer, this was 1980, was 55 years of age. And the the, the vast majority died within two years of retiring. Uh, and, and the number one cause was they drank themselves to death because, in my opinion, they you said it, they couldn't imagine their post-police officer career. What do I do now? Yeah. The other one is, who am I now? Yes. You, you, you've got to create a new identity once you give up policing. And, you know, you don't necessarily have to find another job unless you want to. But you, you do need to find a new you. And it's the same you that you were before you started. It just goes, it's just got to come back to the surface. And then best put, best put forward some goals in life achieve those goals because life is, is is definitely worth living you know it certainly is i agree with you 150 percent, darren i i appreciate your service i appreciate you uh, really appreciate talking yours. about something that that a lot of people really don't want to talk about on the national radio level never mind the podcast and, and by the way you can get episodes of the show as a free podcast at letradio.com. Speaking of my website, you also have a website. What is that URL and how can people get in touch with you? 
Well, if they can, if they can get in touch with me through, through Facebook. So you can just look at Darren Hembro. That's H-E-M-B-R-O-W. Coach for Cops. Or www.darrenhembro.com. That's darrenhembro.com. And by the way, if you have any questions about how to reach out to Darren, whether you're United States, you're in England, you're anywhere else, and it doesn't have to be police-related because we have a lot of life experience that we can help. Maybe he can help you. You can always reach out to me. Just go to letradio.com and contact us. Darren, again, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. No, thank you for the opportunity, and uh, and thank you for all that you do as well. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show is a nationally syndicated weekly radio show broadcast on numerous AM and FM radio stations across the country. We're always adding more affiliate stations. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, which is always free, please do me a favor and tell a friend or two or three. I'll be back in just a few days with another episode of the Law Enforcement Talk Radio Show and Podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. See ya.